The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We've got a very good one ahead for you tonight. We're going to be talking with Colm Holland. He's an author, a speaker, and a teacher, and he's got a book out called The Secret of the Alchemist. This is going to be an interesting conversation about how you can uncover the real secret of success. Started, uh, this whole thing started with Calm um, when he read The Alchemist, an actual book by uh, Paolo Coelho. And he'll tell us the whole story when we bring him on the program. It's um, it's inspiring. It's going to be very interesting. Looking forward to all of this. Hello to everybody in our chat rooms, whether you're in the YouTube chat or the Twitch chat. Thank you so much for being along with us and helping make uh, these uh, 90 minutes or so just a, a lot of fun and entertaining. And I hope you all get a lot of uh, great information out of them as well. And uh, I don't think our, one of our chatters, Toey's in the uh, chat room, but uh, she had a birthday. I think it was yesterday or was it after midnight? I'm not sure. But anyway, happy birthday, Toey. I didn't get to mention it last night. You've been a great part of our chat room since the beginning. And thank you so much for being part of it. Um, make sure you subscribe to us on all of our platforms. YouTube is just JV Johnson. Twitch, also just JV Johnson. Remember, the Twitch channel will be the home of our weekend programming eventually. We won't be doing the weekend stuff Friday and Saturday nights on YouTube. It'll be Twitch only relatively soon. So get to Twitch, open up an account if you don't have one. It's just a video streaming service, it's not anything too fancy. Create an account, like our uh, page or follow our page, subscribe if you can. And in fact, if you have a an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe to our channel and there's no additional fee. Otherwise, there is a subscription fee if you decide to go that route. But you don't have there's no fee if you just want to follow and participate. But the subscription gets you some bonus stuff. So uh, if 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 you go to the uh, Twitch chat room and you type exclamation point prime, it'll tell you how to use your Prime account to subscribe for a free subscription. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tonight, we've got a very interesting discussion ahead of us. Colm Holland will be our guest. He's an author, a speaker, and a teacher. His book is called The Secret of the Alchemist, and we're going to learn about all of what that means, how he was inspired to write it, and how it can help you. Colm, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's such an honor to have you here with us tonight. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Now, are you you in Australia? Do I have that right? Um, not not today. No, I'm actually in the UK. I'm actually in England. Oh, okay. Um, lo- yeah, I'm locked down in England right now. So um, fortunately, sharing it with family. So that's good. That helps. Have you been stuck or not necessarily stuck, but have you been England in England stuck during this whole uh, uh, pandemic situation where nobody can seem to travel or do anything that's yeah, uh, optional? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same here as uh, as it is in the states, pretty much. Yeah. Wow, um, it's certainly unprecedented, and um, you know everybody is kind of uh, you know learning their way through this, uh, kind of putting feelers out, trying to figure out how to act and what to do. But life has to go on, doesn't it? 
Yeah, life has to go on, and, and inner life especially has to go on. In fact, I think, in a way, um, for many people, uh, I don't want to uh, speak on behalf of your listeners, but um, certainly many folk that I've been talking to around generally, um, this has been a, a, an unusual time when people have actually decided to take that bit of time aside to go and make some inner journeys that, you know, prior, prior to this time, there were just too many other demands on their life. So, yeah, it's strange, but it's also potentially quite positive for some people who are, are not able to go and distract themselves in the way that they would normally from the things that maybe we should give some attention yeah, so I think I think that's a great point. And I've one, actually one of the things I was considering as I was sitting here today, and it's kind of easier for me to to think these things or say these things because I do a, a radio show and I do it from a, the comfort of a home studio. So I don't necessarily I'm not used to going to work, going to an office like a lot of people are. But at the same time, I took a step back and I said, wow, you know, people are finding new ways to engage themselves with their family, with their friends, with other people. And uh, we're learning a lot about ourselves during this time, in addition to learning a lot about society. Yes, it's a, it is, is it not, a, as if somebody's turned a light on. Um, I've just noticed probably in the last 18 months, I think I've, when I first began to see it rising, is that there is a light being turned on to us as a, as a species, um, things that we normally were hidden, things that were the status quo that we didn't want to acknowledge. Many of the of the sort of shields and, and barriers that, that kept those things hidden have been pulled down and exposed. And how we react to those uh, really depends, I think, on who we are as individuals, but who we are collectively, but also the decisions that we're going to make going forward. Um, we are all kind of asking ourselves, are we not? You know, what kind of society do we really want moving forward? What what kind of person do I want to be? Am, am I being my true self, of course, is the subject that I'm particularly interested in and why I wrote my book. Um, you know, am I being my true self? Uh, who is the real me? And so I'm, I'm hoping that in our conversation today, we're going to get onto that topic. Yeah, and, and we will. And we're going to obviously talk about your book. It's called The Secret of the Alchemist. But before we get to your book, there was another person and another book that's instrumental in this story. Um, tell us about uh, Paolo and who he was, what his book, uh, how it was introduced to you and how it became important to putting you on a path to end up writing your book. Okay, great question. Um, the secret of the alchemist is uh, has a has a double meaning. Um, it is pointing to a couple of a couple of things. One of the things it is pointing towards is a book, a, a fable, a novel uh, called The Alchemist, which was published twenty seven years ago in English, a few years before that in Portuguese, and it is by a Brazilian author called Paulo Coelho. And if you're a book reader. And you've not heard of Paolo Kahlo, you must have been living in, you know, uh, <laughs> in, inside a cave with no communication with the outside world for the last 30 years. He is, um, was, until very recently, the Guinness Book of Records best-selling author uh, of any living author. He has sold over 85 million 
copies of one book um, uh, translated into 70 different languages. And I say beaten only recently, and this is this is interesting, and we'll come back to this in a moment, but beaten only recently in the Guinness Book of Records by J.K. Rowling's uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. What's interesting about both of those stories is, of course, they contain alchemy as one of their primary topics. So That's right. How, yeah, okay, so spooky moment, everybody. Let's, we'll come back to that spooky moment in a minute. Um, how did I discover Paolo Keller? Well, I was in Sydney, Australia. Uh, this was nearly 30 years ago, 27 years ago to be precise. I was, uh, at the time, I was working in HarperCollins Publishers. I was part of the marketing department. Um, I have to say I wasn't, you know, the big cheese in the department. I was a very sort of lowly middle manager kind of guy, not particularly um, overly well paid, um, doing okay, but um, I wasn't the happiest person in his job at that moment in time. And then, but it was my role when manuscripts came in before the internet. By the way, everybody, this was 1993. I don't think we had the internet where we were until 95, was it? I think yeah, 95 ish. Um, and this manuscript landed on my desk, and I was supposed to read it and decide how many copies do we need in Australia, you know. Um, I'd seen some great books come across my desk, uh, books by Dr. Wayne Dyer. I'd seen books by Joseph Campbell, the great mythology uh, lecturer and professor. I'd seen A Course in Miracles by Marianne Williamson. And then there's this book arrives called The, the Alchemist, and it's a slim volume. It's a novel, which is different, because I normally dealt with the non-fiction side, and yet it was my job to assess this. And there was a cover um, just stapled to the manuscript. This was going to be the proof cover. And if you Google it, guys, you just if you Google um, The Alchemist original English language cover, um, it's nothing like the one that's on the other millions of books that have sold. Since it was purple, there's a shepherd boy that looks like a pilgrim. It's a piece of artwork. It's not a piece. It's not a photograph. And the central figure is this alchemist figure dressed in Arabian dress. And on his forehead is a, the single all-seeing eye of God. And that's what did it. The moment I saw that, I broke the rules, threw the manuscript into my briefcase. It was late on a Friday afternoon. I went home and actually forgot about it for most of the weekend. Um, normally, I never take work home. It was a rule. Uh, this is time to spend with family. Um, but I had a bit of loose time on, on the on the Sunday afternoon, and I remembered, oh, yeah, that uh, that manuscript by that guy I've never heard of, because um, nobody had heard of him in the English-speaking world at that point. Um, I, I read it. Let's just see what this is about. Well, that was the turning point of my entire life. <laughs> 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 that that moment, that decision to to just give those couple of hours in the afternoon. It's a quick, easy read, and it is just a parable. It's a fable. It's a story about a shepherd boy um, who lives in Spain um, in an age unknown, but sort of fable age. And he goes. He he looks after his sheep, and he goes to spend the night in this deserted chapel. The roof has gone and nobody's been there for a long time and the sheep are in the chapel and he falls asleep under a sycamore tree 
and has a dream. And in the dream, uh, a child comes to him and says, if you go to the pyramids, you will find your treasure. There's treasure buried in the pyramids. And she, she begins, the child begins to show him where, where the treasure is. But before she can show him where it is, he wakes up. And he has that, this, this dream, it recurs a couple of times. And he thinks, okay, um, maybe I should pay attention to my dream. And I'm going to come back to that statement in a, in a, in a while. Paying attention to our dreams mm -hmm. is really important, folks. <laughs> um, can't recommend it enough, but we'll, we'll come back to that. The shepherd boy meets a couple of people. They say, yeah, you should go to North Africa. He goes to North Africa. Uh, he goes through all kinds of trials and tribulations. Stuff goes wrong. He nearly gets killed several times. Uh, he meets the love of his life, um, and he keeps persisting in making his way towards the pyramids. But along the way, he begins to discover something really significant. And my book, um, The Secret of the Alchemist, begins to unwrap and unpack these symbols, these um, experiences that Santiago, the shepherd boy character, goes through, and particularly his meeting with, with the central character, who is the alchemist, a guy who appears out of nowhere one day on horseback wearing black clothes with a really sharp saber and his face covered, um, looking terribly dangerous, but actually the the whole metaphor of the fable is that the shepherd boy comes in contact with the art of alchemy, but not just any old art of alchemy. And we can talk about alchemy as much as we want later. But the the, the branch of alchemy that, that Santiago in the story comes across is a branch that was um, studied and, and practiced throughout North Africa um, within the Arab world, within Persia, uh, what is now Iraq and Iran and uh, that whole region um, several centuries ago. And that's the, um, that's the art of learning to communicate, <clears throat> excuse me, learning to communicate in a brand new way, in a whole new dimension that Santiago goes through to the point where, and this is the amazing thing, where he he discovers that he can perform miracles. He can actually perform magic in this fable. Does he discover the treasure? Look, I'm not going to spoil it. If you, haven't <laughs> read, if you haven't read The Alchemist, I won't spoil it for you. But in a nutshell, that's the book. So I read the story. I was blown away by it. I mean, I was like, this is amazing. It's not um, a massive piece of... of uh, highbrow English literature. It's not going to win the Booker Prize. Um, it's not, you know, it probably isn't going to get a Nobel Prize for literature or any of that, but there's just something in here. Not sure what it is right now, but I've, I've got to do something with this book. I rang my colleague in California on the Monday, woke him up, um, seven o'clock in the morning, said, Greg, come on, we've got to talk about the archivist. He said, you know, what, what are you doing waking me up this time in the morning? Right. And I said, look, I said, this is going to be a phenomenal bestseller. Trust me, I just, it's in my bones. I feel it in my bones. And, and he said, well, okay, so how many copies do you want? And I said, normally I would say 2,000. I mean, I think the most of a brand new author, first time out, 
I'd ever asked for was maybe 5,000, and that was huge. I said, I want 200,000 copies. And <laughs> I could hear him spitting the coffee <laughs> out on the other side of the phone. And he, and he said, are you, <laughs> Colin, are you drunk? And I said, no, not, not today anyway. No, I'm not really drunk. <laughs> said no he said wow okay you've never you've never done this before we've worked together for years all right i'll i'll go and talk to everybody else so he went off and talked to all my colleagues around the world and we came to a consensus that yeah this was probably going to do really well so we completely bypassed the hardcover version we went straight into paperback and the rest as i said 85 million copies later is history wow and um <clears throat> i I didn't – what's really interesting is I didn't particularly place personally a huge amount of uh, kudos, for want of a better word, on, on myself in that regard. I, in my mind, I was just doing my job. I Mostly I regarded myself as just being basically privileged to be one of the first people to read this book in English. For me, that was great. You know, I'm sure this will do really well. Of course, it didn't sell 85,000 overnight, but gradually it sold and it sold and it sold. And um, not long after, we did invite Paolo Kahlo to, to come to Australia. And in fact, it was his first English language uh, writers festival that he spoke at in, in Adelaide in Australia. And um, he was an immense hit. Even the organisers said, we have never had this response. Um, the local bookshops were just selling out, um, couldn't get the stock quick enough um, to cope with it. Uh, the queue for Paolo to sign his book, and the book had only been out for about nine months at this point, um, went round the block outside the building. <laughs> wow. And uh, everybody's going, what, what is this? What, what's going on here? And... Um, those of those of you that have read it will know exactly what's going on here. Yeah, before we you get will... before we get too much further and, and away from your introduction to the book, I'm trying to I want to get a sense and in, in reflecting back on that time, do you want can you get an understanding of how that book, first of all, ended up in your briefcase at your house where you don't normally bring things home? It's kind of a, a synchronistic moment in a way. But secondly, what what made you so confident this was going to be such an important book, not just for anybody who likes to read books, but for you personally? Great question. And not many people ask me that question, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I was on it. I had since the age of 18. So I'll just put this in historical context. It's all eons ago. Um, but I was when I found the book, I was 40 years old. I'd been on my own journey from the age of 18. At the age of 18, um, I did make um, a discovery about myself that I was not particularly enamored with. Uh, it was a discovery that actually I wasn't really the person that I had hoped I would be. And for an 18-year-old, most people say, well, that's pretty young to come to that conclusion. A lot of people wait until they get to you know, mid middle-age crisis point before they, they go into that. But, I, I, yeah, that's where I was. And I began to explore. I began to explore lots of different things. And stuff happened to me when I was at university. And through, again, some synchronicity and some, some omens happening, um, being in the right place, being in a certain place at the right time. I had an encounter through someone 
who introduced me to what I call uh, unconditional love. Um, some people call unconditional love God. Some people call unconditional love spirit. Some people call the force. Well, it doesn't matter what we call it, but I, it was it was more than a name. It was more than uh, a person. It, this was an encounter with a presence that accepted me more than I even accepted myself. So rather than being condemned and judged like I was doing to myself, um, I was the, you know, I was judge and jury of, of me and my behavior at the time. What I discovered is unconditional love just embraced me, accepted me, put no conditions on me, and, and basically said to me you know, that, that you can have a truly joyful and happy life if you follow the path of, of unconditional love. And then I messed about a bit with some religion and stuff and tried to make sense of this experience. So it was more that way around. I you know, had an experience. Now I've got to find a structure to build around this, to maybe live a life around this. Um, and, and eventually I did end up on my own journey. I was reading Joseph Campbell. I was reading a, a lot of great teachers from the time. And I was, I was on that path. So, yeah, it, let, let's be honest here. Um, when I picked up that manuscript, I was probably in the ripe internally because even though I was on that spiritual path, I'd reached the point where I had a major piece of dissatisfaction, not about who I was, but about the course and direction of my life. I, I did not feel that I was following what Paolo calls you know, my personal legend, my true destiny, the path that I could be on to fulfill my greatest potential. And I know many, many folk listening to this right now are going to um, identify with that. You know, several times through our lives we get to that point and things can trigger it. It can be relationships that are triggering that feeling. It can be just in, inner discontentment. Um, it can be career. It can be uh, a crisis. Like you know, many, many people have been affected by the crisis, that we, both physically and, um, and financially. So um, stuff like that can bring us to that point. And, and that's a really critical point. So at that point where I am asking myself, what am I doing? The alchemist appeared on my desk. So the universe who I had asked and, and, and invited into my life all those years before was true to its word and was bringing me something really powerful at a moment in time when, when I think I had the ability to make the shift. I think I was ready to make that paradigm shift in my life, and this book just was the trigger. It was the key that opened the door for me. And then to take that a step further, do you believe it was synchronistic? Do you think it was just the right thing in the right place at the right time? Or was there a greater power guiding this and guiding you to the book and the book to you? I don't know. Um, I don't know the answer to that, that question. I think um, in retrospect, um, it's easy to, you know, I mean, fate is, is a great idea in retrospect. <laughs> we could... <laughs> 
<laughs> we can always you know, say, oh, that was fate in the past. I, mean, I, I defy anybody to point forward in time and, and predict fate in that direction. Well, people do, and, of course, it, it fails miserably. But um, <clears throat> this is what I believe. I believe that each of us, at, a, at a, several moments in our life, it's not, it's not perpetual, it won't keep happening, but there will be key milestones in the life where we are given a, a significant choice. We are given that moment to say, I am going to make the shift, I am going to go on this new path. And the reason why it's quite often such a challenge, and it certainly was a challenge for me when, when I met the alchemist, is that all of our fear, all of our timidity and lack of courage just, just comes straight in and says, you can't take that risk. Um, there's lots of reasons why you can't move forward and, and, and fulfill your dreams. So, okay, so you've got this dream, all right, about you know, setting up a new business, as it was in my case. Great dream, Colin, but oh, why waste your time and wait, you know, put your family's lives and, and livelihood at jeopardy? Why give up your well-paid career and, and take that massive risk? I mean, all of these voices compiling in, as you know. Anybody who's been in my situation can, can understand this. Um, but for the first time, I think, when um, I met Paolo, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Actually, Paolo and I met. And um, why, why don't I just mention that now? Because yeah, I think I, it was actually next on my list. I wanted to hear about this meeting. I read a little bit about it on your website, and it sounds like it was yeah. quite inspirational and, and obviously very important to your story. So tell the story of, of your meeting with uh, Paolo. Okay, there are two sides to this story. I'll tell the first side, and then I'm going to refer to the second side. And it's not many stories have two angles like this in my life, but this one definitely does. So Paolo was in Adelaide at the Writers' Festival, and he, on the way home he said, I want to come to Sydney, I want to meet Colm, I want to take Colm and his wife, uh, my wife, and um, the publicity manager who'd done such a fantastic job for him. I want to take you guys out for a meal. Well, straight up, that was not the common thing for, a, for an author to do. Normally, it would be a corporate thing. There'd be 20 people there. The managing directors would want to be there, and all the, all the other directors were meant to be there, you know, celebrity author. No, 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 Paolo, no, said, I just, just us. Wow, okay. So we went off. Um, it was a fabulous evening. It was on the waterfront at Sydney Harbour. Beautiful evening. Uh, anybody who's ever been to Sydney Harbour at night, knows how romantic it all is, um, the Harbour Bridge, the Opera House. Paolo was there, his wife. We were having a great time. It was, he's, it was just so charming. Um, I just didn't want the evening to end. And then um, as time went on, he said, oh, this is so I want to thank you specifically, Colin and Naomi. Uh, this has been awesome. Um, I've, got a, I've got a present for you both. And we're going, oh, okay. Um, I thought it was going to be a signed copy of his book or something. Right, <laughs> sure. Yeah, thank you. But that's probably worth it. Well, I know it's, that would have been worth an awful lot of money right now. <laughs> um, they go for quite a, quite a song. Um, and he pulled this little box out of his pocket. And in the box was a, a – a, he gave it to, to um, Naomi. And in that box was a beautiful little dress diamond ring. It was worth a couple of thousand dollars. Wow. Um, we were – I know we were just like what? 
she was in tears. I don't, never, I've never seen her reduced to tears before, so well done, Paolo. <laughs> um, <laughs> he managed to get some tears. She's just delightful. And, um, and then he looked at me, and I was thinking, oh, okay, uh, gold Rolex, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> That's how shallow is that, everybody? <laughs> um, <laughs> you thought you were talking to some spiritual guru tonight. Um but you were yeah, set up. Yeah, to be fair to you, you were set up. You saw the gift that preceded yours, and you thought, okay, yeah. you know, something along those lines. That's a natural thought. Yeah. So what he said to Naomi, and then he said to me, is that he'd asked God and his wife, because like every you know, good husband, you know, should always ask your wife on the matters of taste, um, you know, what, what he should give us. And God had told him, he said, that, that he, Paolo, needed to spend a day of his time doing his alchemy magic on my behalf. i got to tell you, that gold Rolex was fading into the distance in my imagination as he said that. Um, and I was thinking, what is that? You know, what's alchemy magic? I'd read the book, but I hadn't ever really, it hadn't really dawned on me that maybe this was something that people in real life do. Right. You know, another human being still does this stuff. And, um, and he said, yeah, so, so that's what I've done. Um, and I was thinking, okay, so there is no gold Rolex happening. I've got this you know, ethereal promise that he's making. He said, what I did, though, he said, is that I called on the universe to give you, Colin, what, whatever you want to happen in your life will happen. And there's only one condition. And I'm thinking, okay. He said, you just need to decide what you want. And that was it. Thanks, everybody. Got to go and catch a plane. <laughs> lovely, to, lovely to meet you in person. Um, blessings, everybody, and gone. And I'm driving home that evening with my wife, and I'm going, well, you know, what, what do you think of that then? And she turned to me very wisely and said, Colin, it doesn't matter what I think about what he just said. It's what you think that matters. So what happened? Well, I was, as I said, I wasn't the happiest person in, in his work at the time. Life went on, and but after a very short time, a couple of really serendipity things just happened out of the blue. There were a couple of guys I was working for who um, were definitely blocking my way forward, certainly in that situation, to you know, furthering my career. Miraculously, without me doing anything whatsoever, they were both um, they were both offered jobs in other companies. You know, they were both promoted. They did really well. But suddenly there was this vacuum above me, and guess what? For some reason, I was promoted into one of those roles. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I've been stuck in this this particular role for years now, and now suddenly, this this whole way has just opened up. This is this is quite something. And rather than it saying, okay, that's fine, then I'll just settle into my new role and I'll give up the dream of setting up my own business, the passion to want to create my own business just got stronger and stronger. And the courage that I was finding to actually believe that I could do it was also increasing in strength. So I had this dual thing going on where um, I, I was – I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm advancing in ways I'd never previously done, and now I want to sacrifice that? 
you know, I, I actually could keep going within within the company, and right. I could actually. Do I really want to just jeopardise that and just go out on my own? And and I decided I would. And to this day, I look back and I go, "Wow, good <laughs> <laughs> grief! You're kidding me." Um, and I did. And within two years, I founded um, what, what became the second largest digital ad agency in Australia. We had 85 staff. We had massive clients like uh, Sydney 2000 Olympics. Um, later, we had Toyota of Southeast Asia, um, Channel 7 Television, Telstra, and so on and so on. All the big blue ribbon brands um, in, in the region. And, um, and I made a lot of money. And I was really happy. And I remember, and, and I'd still been reading The Alchemist. I'd been studying it, and I'd been saying, okay, you know, I, I think I, re- I now understand this in a better way. But I do remember, and this is the other side of the story, that not long after Paolo had been and, and he did his magic for me, um, I got a phone call, and it was, um, it was from Dr. Wayne Dyer, who was um, still alive then, Sadly, has passed. Great teacher. Um, if you've not read Dr. Wayne Dyer's stuff, folks, then cannot recommend it enough. Um, he he's a, he was a powerful guy, and, and but he'd never rung me before, and he rang me and he said, "Colin, is that you know you, Colin?" I said, "Yeah, hi." And I, I was quite shocked, um, a bit in awe, and um, he said, um, "There's something I need you to do for me." And I said, "Okay." And he said, "I need you to do the magic." that you performed on Paolo Kahlo's book for me with my new book, because my new book is called Real Magic. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I said I would, to the best of my ability, I'd give it everything I got and so on, and we put the phone down. And the book, the Alchemist's book, was just lying on my desk because I kept it pretty handy in those days as I do now. Because I, you know, this I often dive in. I want to, you know, get something out of it, and um, I just stared at the cover, and it was like this massive light went on. Somebody finally turned on the, you know, the, the, the searchlights. Um, I could, I could see. Once I was blind, and now I could see. But the title, what's the title of this book? It's the Alchemist. It's about alchemy. It's actually a handbook on how to do magic and i'm thinking really seriously so you can all else stopped shut the door took the phone off the hook and i just poured and poured through the pages and page after page after page i realized what most people probably don't think this is much more than a simple tale of a shepherd believing in his dreams and and going off and taking risks and and finding what it, it actually tells you how to enlist the power of the universe through the magic of alchemy, into your life to make stuff happen. That changed my life. The day I, that completely, I I get it. I remember saying to the universe out loud in my office, I get it, thank you. Finally, how could I be so blind? But then I go and talk to people all the time, and because this is what I do now, and um, I say, have you read The Alchemist? That's the first question I usually ask. Yeah, I read it. Oh, yeah, fantastic book, yeah. I said, just tell me one thing. What was, the, what was your takeaway? What was the one, give me one thing that you were able to take away? And um, usually it's, oh, it, it really encouraged me to believe in my dreams. 
my ambitions to take the risk and to step out and do it. And quite often I say, um, well, did it, did it work? And sometimes, yeah, it did. And some others, well, no, because other things happened and stuff came into my life. And, I'm, and I said, well, did you know that you, you were holding in your hand the secret to making your life the life that you want? that when you choose and determine to commit to building and creating the life you really want, all of the, as Paolo so eloquently says in his book, all the power of the universe conspires to make that happen. And I've taken that promise and applied it to my life for the last 27 years, and all I can say is, amen, yes, it is true. And so I thought eventually under quite a bit of pressure from several people, because I would tell this story that I've been telling you, you folks tonight, um, he, uh, people said, you've got to write this down, Colin. Seriously, you, you cannot not write this down. You've got to put it on paper. So that's the origin of the secret of the Eucharist. And what I do in my book then um, on, on other readers' behalf is I dissect the book, I look at the elements within the fable of, of the alchemist and, and how these can become lessons, how they can become steps, but primarily how they can introduce us to the basic principles, the elemental principles of the art of alchemy and how that's what the the story of the alchemist is actually trying to do. And if you open the book and you go in and start having a looking and a search, you find it's all there. Um, there's the philosopher's stone. There's the elixir of life um, or, or the, the emerald tablet, um, the soul of the world. Um, it's not, not hidden. And yet alchemy seems to have this ability to, to for the uninitiated, it seems to have this ability just to hide itself. The miracle of Paolo's novel is that even those people who read his book, who, who don't have that enlightened view that, that, that happened for me, so that don't particularly say, oh, yeah, this is a book of alchemy and I need to start taking up um, the principles of alchemy to, to apply them to my life. Even people who just say, yeah, it's, it, it encouraged me to do, you know, follow my dream, it still works. And that was the second, you know, that was the thing that blew me away. And here's the other flip side of the story. I said, this story's got two sides. The other side, this, the other side of the story is really simple. One of the things that Wayne Dyer said to me when he made that phone call was, I want you to do, want you to do the alchemy that you did, Colin, for Paolo. And that thought just completely um, shattered all of my preconceptions about myself. Was I an alchemist? <laughs> really? I didn't even, didn't even know it existed. But did I do something for Paolo? Yeah, I did, actually. I did believe in his book. I did um, respond to the magic of the book, and I, and I acted upon it to his benefit. Um, whether I, whether it would have happened with or without me, I think the universe had a plan that it would. I just happened to be the guy at the time that was enabled to give it that kickstart and give it that support that, that meant it became, it got to everybody's attention much, probably much quicker than it would have done otherwise. 
Um, so um, this power, folks, is something that I teach about this power of unconditional love and, and how the art of alchemy reveals how we can tap into that power is what I've devoted my life to. I have to ask you about the word alchemist and alchemy in itself. I mean, when I hear that word prior to this discussion anyway, um, I would think of somebody in a, in a, in a kind of an apothecary mixing up potions. Um, what are we talking about when we use this word today in this conversation? Yeah, well, it's funny you should say I am in a apothecary mixing up motions. No kidding. (laughs) You can't see me. I've got a pointed hat with stars on. I've got a cape. (laughs) I've got a golden wand. Wait a minute. Where's my golden wand going? Here we go. Hold on. Just one second. I'm just going to. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Stir that (laughs) one up. (laughs) Yeah. So why do we think that? Um, Okay. I know the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Walt Disney, maybe. Did maybe, he, yeah. Yeah, did we get that from there? That's a good, oh, great film. I loved that as a kid. Um, what else? Where do we get it from? Harry Potter hasn't helped um, right. in that, re- yeah, a bit. I mean, Harry Potter's been great. It really has inspired so many people. I'm not knocking Harry Potter, by the way. Um, fabulous books. Um, Alchemy began... Uh, according to those that have taken the time to study and collect the manuscripts, um, probably about 5,000, 6,000 years ago in Egypt, exactly where the pyramids are today. Um, by the way, did, they, did you know that the desert um, around the pyramids and that area uh, does have gold in it? There, is, there, is, there are minute gold deposits, no. actually, I wasn't aware no. of that. Yeah, I was not aware of that. Not enough to, certainly in modern times, not enough to, to turn Egypt into a gold mine, not like parts of Australia where they, they literally scour up square miles of, of ground at a time and put it through these machines and you get a, a tiny, you know, a few ounces of gold at the end of it. Um, you know, Australia is one of the world's largest gold producers. Um so that in the time of in the time of the uh, Egyptians, uh, the ancient Egyptians, there was a lot of uh, folklore which has been discovered. Thankfully, because they were such great scribes and they recorded stuff in hieroglyphics and so on. Um, but they had a they had a god. One of the gods that they uh, believed in was a god called Thoth, T H O T H, and. Um, he is accredited with bringing the knowledge of the power that there is this power in the universe that we can tap into and turn into uh, a force in, in our lives. Um, and he is also accredited by the ancient alchemists of having inscribed um, the truth of this in this thing called the Emerald Tablet. Um, and I will quote a little bit from the Emerald Tablet. The person we have to thank, by the way, this is... This is really interesting. The person we have to thank for the for a, a lot of the um, resurgence and discovery of those ancient manuscripts was somebody we all know really well from school, a guy called Sir Isaac Newton. Oh wow! The guy, the guy with the apple and the tree was a practicing alchemist, <laughs> and in his spare time, when he wasn't busy trying to work out why the apple hit the ground when it left the tree. Um, and the, the whole um, principle of, of gravity, which changed the world of science forever, um, 
he he was a practicing alchemist and really was devoted to it and as a result collected books from ancient manuscripts and books from all over the world and they they are in safekeeping in a in a library in cambridge cambridge university here in the uk today which is amazing so thank you sir isaac newton did us a favor there um but the the reason I think we think of these uh, guys and, and gals being, you know, uh, really wizened old uh, witches and wizards in, in laboratories is because they went out of their way to hide the discoveries that they found. They went out of their way to use cryptic um, messages to where they, that the uninitiated just couldn't read. They used to use cipher um, and went, went out of their way because... The basic feeling they had is that unless you're prepared to do the work, and the work not necessarily being mixing concoctions in the laboratory, um, what somebody else discovered, that there's an even greater work going on with the the people that have been practising down from ancient Egypt through North Africa. Um, they brought the, uh, the alchemists of North Africa, brought it back up through Spain, Hence the 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 you know the metaphor of Paolo Coelho and, and his story uh, back up through Spain and through Europe and and the uh, in the Middle Ages uh, alchemy kind of divided into two branches the European branch was very much committed to formulas to spells if you like uh, incantations mixing potions following. Um, deep, deep um, pages and pages of prescribed uh, formulas that you had to stick to and do in a certain order and all that stuff. Boring, really, terribly boring. And then at the other branch, the, the sort of the, the Arabic branch of alchemy was much more about listening to the heart and following your intuition and becoming one with nature and learning to see the truth in all things, even the grain of sand, uh, learning to understand that you're one with the hawks in the air and that you're one with your fellow man, and together all things are one, as the, as the alchemists say, and Paolo in his story uh, uses that phrase quite a You know, all things are one. All things are joined together by what the alchemists call the prima materia, that prima materia which lives within the very cells of everything that exists. But one thing is unique in the alchemy theory, that, that Arabic theory of, of alchemy, is that we hold as human beings a very unique place in that system of the universe. We are the ones, and we, we carry with that an immense um, responsibility, we are the ones who, through our engagement in the universe, are able to affect change. We're able to destroy, don't we know that? Right. Or we're able to create. So the soul of the world is a is a living thing, and we have a role to play in it, and we can either nourish it by the way we, we are as individuals, or we can diminish it by the way that we are individuals. So... You know, we, we often, right now at this moment in our, in our history and, and what's going on in our societies around the world, we are very becoming you know, more and more conscious uh, that, that each individual matters, irrespective of colour, creed, r religion, 
nationality doesn't matter. We we are all super important. Uh, the thing is, we are. That is that isn't just a good idea. It's the truth. Each individual is connected to everybody else, and we we are interdependent not only with each other but with the universe and how we care for the planet um, all of these things we think we invented these thoughts the alchemists were teaching this six seven thousand years ago nothing new under the sun as they say um, and so that was the that's the origin of alchemy um, there's another person we should mention uh, much later than Sir Isaac Newton, and his name is, is uh, Professor Carl Jung. For those of you that know anything about psychology and, and Sigmund Freud and, and so on will know that he had a partner called Carl Jung who went out on his own theory of psychoanalysis, and guess what? He was an alchemist. Uh, he was probably even more devoted to alchemy than Isaac Newton. Um, he he collect he read the works that Isaac Newton had pulled together. He connected around the world with other people who had been collecting the manuscripts. He begged and borrowed the manuscripts, and he did his own study. And many people will say that uh, Carl Jung's theories in his psychoanalysis theory that um, we, we are all living out an, an archetype, whether it's the servant archetype, the king archetype, the, the wizard, the witch, the, um, the hero, and so on. Or, um, those of you that have studied that will know. Uh, but also his, his main theory, which is that we can self-improve the person that we are not by becoming somebody different than who we are, but by becoming our true self. And he called that process individuation. We are all individuals and we can all enter into the real treasure of who we are as individuals and live powerful, empowered lives. And that's one of the major themes that I pick up on in my book. And that, of course, is what's going on in The Fable of the Alchemist. The shepherd boy is actually going on an, an inner journey of transformation. Now, Carl Jung's teachings have become part of, of absorb, heavily absorbed into the New, the new Age world, um, into mindfulness, into the way that many of us now see ourselves and the world. But not many of us realize that Carl Jung drew deeply on his understanding of alchemy, and particularly spiritual alchemy, um, to, to, to arrive at those thoughts. So here we are. We think we've, we've, we've entered into a, a new age of understanding that we've partly invented ourselves um, where we can meditate and be mindful and do all those wonderful things. Um, it's not new. And so when I sort of realized this, I thought, okay, so what else are we missing? What other gems, what other nuggets are are buried in this uh, book, The Alchemist, but also what, what other gems are buried within the ancient art, art of alchemy that we could benefit from. So I went on my own digging. So I dug, in, dug into, the, into the desert sand myself, and hopefully I've pulled out some gems, gold gems, that people can um, utilise. And in my book, I actually uh, walk you through uh, the, the steps of alchemy, the, uh, the three key steps being the black, the white and the red phase 
which is the uh, metaphor for what the alchemists were doing in their laboratory. But so if you're interested, I can expand on that unless you had another question. Um, why don't you yeah, go ahead and expand on that? Because I think it's it's worth talking about. And then I do have plenty of other questions. We'll follow up after that. OK, so. Um, so once you accept that uh, what we're really talking about here is not um, wizened old men sitting in laboratories um, trying to make a fast buck um, and failing miserably, <laughs> by the way, at it. <laughs> there are still people out there who do it. No, no, no offence to them whatsoever. Um, every blessing, as far as I'm concerned. And if you achieve what you want, I, I hope you do. But certainly most of the people I know who have tried to go down that road Paolo Kahlo included, uh, said it nearly destroyed his life. Um, he strayed down that, that road. He got heavily involved in black magic uh, in a negative way, and he yeah, it nearly cost him his life, seriously. So he had a big wake-up call, and it was after he had that wake-up call that he actually wrote The Alchemist. And he based the story of The Alchemist on his own rediscovery of, of true alchemy, which is the alchemy of love, the alchemy that, of the universe that holds all things together. And so what can you do to follow in the path and the footsteps of, of Paolo and, and many others and, and what I've discovered? So it is, there are, I'm going to say there's five things. If you've got a pencil and paper, here you go. I'm, I'm giving it all away for free. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. You've got to start dreaming again. Um, I don't care what kind of dreams it is, whether it's sleep dreams, whether it's daydreams, whether it's just resurrecting old ambitions, whether it's uh, finding a new ambition. I'm not going to differentiate between ambitions and sleep dreams, by the way, because what you discover is that they are wholly interconnected. When I'm dreaming, what I discover is quite often, if I have a lucid dream, a lucid dream is something where you dream and then you wake up and you can actually remember it because it was like real. You know, I've had dreams that have woken me up because, you know, I thought I was actually going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, pay attention to those dreams. Start to write them down if you can. Um, that's number one uh, because the shepherd boy, Santiago, remember he had a, the dream. in, in the, So this is the starting point. But then there are the other dreams, the dreams of our ambitions. And quite often what I've found is that if I've got an ambition burning that I'm beginning to get quite passionate about, I will start dreaming about it. People will come into my dreams. Um, I don't know. If, do you want me to do, tell you a couple of spooky stories? Yeah. Are you into oh, we love <laughs> spooky stories here. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. You promise not to tell anybody, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Too late for that. But I'll promise not to tell anybody else. <laughs> so I was, I'd written the book, and I was beginning to plan um, how I was going to, you know, uh, make it known to the world. So I was beginning to uh, get help from people. Say, uh, I had my publisher. Um, who's got a, I've got a, a fantastic publicist who's done an amazing job, got me on this show with you tonight and, and lots of other things. Uh, but I was just thinking, you know, calling on the university, doing what I do and saying, you know, what should I do next? And I, so I had a dream. And everybody's going to laugh and say, yeah, this is really spooky. Okay, you've got to guess who came into my dream. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you straight. Elvis. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. I'm a huge Elvis fan, so I'm, I'm inspired now. Elvis, I have never – look, I'm not a great fan, no disrespect. Um, <laughs> it's, it's okay. I mean, his first first record I ever had as a, as a 10-year-old was a an old 78, and it was Elvis, so I have a connection at that point. I, I probably listened to it a million times as a kid. Um, Elvis came into a dream. I never never dream of Elvis. Never in my entire born life have I ever dreamt of Elvis. So he came, and he, and he said, hi, Carl. And I'm going, oh, hi, Elvis. And he, was, <laughs> and he was wearing his Las Vegas, you know, outfit with his flared trousers. And the, yeah, the jumper, the, sure. The greased hair, it was amazing, you know. And I thought, wow, you look amazing. And he said, I've heard about your book. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah, it's really cool. Um, I love it. Um, there's all these. There's lots of people I want to find out about about your book. You know, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to help? And I said, um, okay. Uh, I'm a bit taken aback at this point. And I said, well, you can. I tell you what would be cool is if you could, um, if you could reach out to maybe to some celebrities or some other famous people. That it'd be wonderful if they found out about my book, and because that would get the message out there, you know, um, and so on. I mean, that's what happened to Paolo Caleb, by the way. Um, his whole life changed when there was a photograph of Bill Clinton holding a copy of The Alchemist in, a, in the New York Times. Um, that was one of the other big turning points um, for, for Paolo. Um, it took him from here to here. I mean, it was uh, just a, a big, massive shift. Um, so, I, so I had this in my mind. And then I woke up, and I just laughed. I woke up laughing, and I'm going, and I nudged my wife when she finally woke up. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I've just been visited by Elvis. <laughs> And did he leave the building? Did Elvis leave the building? <laughs> <laughs> so we laughed, and that was. And I thought nothing more of it. I've, I kept. I do keep a dream diary, by the way. So I've, I've got the date, and, and I've, I've got it written down somewhere. So uh, anyway, life moved on, and uh, things began to happen. It was good, and, and um, I was managing to. I've got a team. Managed to get a team together, doing publicity for me, helping with, with the whole thing. Um, Trying to trying to get the the message out there, and uh, the book's not published by the way yet. Um, it will be available on Amazon from the first of August, so um, it, it is possible to pre-order the book now. Um, and I've had another dream. Uh, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't thinking about it. Just didn't so you're ready for this one. Okay. It's it okay. even. So I'm I'm having this dream, and suddenly George Harrison appears oh. in my dream. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just doing homage to, to George. I've got a, a picture. I've, I keep the psychedelic Beatles picture on my wall of George, the green the green and orange where he's holding up a palm of his hand with, with the all-seeing eye. Bless you, George. Thank you. So George came into my dream. And again, I'd never dreamt about George Harrison, ever. I don't think I'd ever dreamt about any of the Beatles at all. I know people do. You know, they, when you're a kid, you dream of your pop stars and stuff. I, I never had. I, I never wasn't not really a person who has those kind of dreams. And George said, you know, hi, man, in his Liverpool accent. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis tells me you're doing something really cool. <laughs> no, wait, th was th this was a different night, Colin? Yeah. Okay. Elvis tells me you're doing something really cool. I said, yeah. He said, do you want to drive my car? <laughs> what? He said, do you want to, want to drive my car, man? And I go, uh, okay. He said, here's the keys. 
uh, it's over there. Go and give it a give it a spin. And I turn around. And there's the Ferrari. I did not know until I googled it after the dream that George Harrison owned a Ferrari. Did you know that? I did not know that. No. If you Google it, George Harrison and Ferrari. There's a photo of him with this, you know, amazing Ferrari back in the late sixties. And I'm thinking, this is this is weird. You know, why am I driving George Harrison's Ferrari? So I get in the car. I get in the car. This is a lucid dream, everybody. This is like real. I turn the key. Boom, the thing's roaring away. I go charging off down the freeway. And then, then I hit this traffic jam. There's all these other cars in the way, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If this makes you feel like you're somebody, then, yeah, I can see the point in spending the money. But for me personally... I'm glad it's not mine because I wouldn't, you know, I, would I buy one? No, no, not really. I'm, I don't I don't need one and I don't need it to tell me that I'm somebody because I own it. I had that distinct feeling and I, I was pretty happy about it. So I turned around, I got around, um, I drove the car back and gave the keys back to George and he said, so what did you think? <laughs> and that Liverpool accent is yeah, hilarious. I love can it. hear it now. What did you think? And I said, it was great, you know, big adrenaline rush, but I wouldn't own one. And he said, that's a really good answer. What would you like me to do for you? Oh, man, and I'm like, are you kidding me? George, <laughs> you're, you're asking what would you like me you to do for me? And he, and he said, yeah. He said, oh, by the way, I've got me mates with me. And next thing I know, he's Ravi Shankar's oh, <laughs> in wow. the dream. <laughs> and I go, okay, all right, guys, you know, I'm going to faint. I mean, I, I may not even wake up. This is too much. Can't cope. Um, I woke up and I thought, I just need to calm down on this. I, you know, I, this is a realm that's, and I've never been in this realm. I don't know. I don't know this realm. Not sure whether I'm just making this stuff up, my unconscious, is, or, or am I actually, am I connecting to these guys? What's going on? So I decided to read a little bit, which I'd never particularly done, a bit about spirit guides and calling on messengers. And a lot of people do that stuff and it seems to work and so on. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll just see how this plays out. Within, um, so in the, so I, I, in the next time I went to sleep, I didn't dream I, again. I didn't, I've never had another dream. But, I, but in that sort of idle time between sleep and, and dreaming just before you fall asleep you know I just imagined George was there again and, and Ravi and, and the whole thing and, and I was thanking them for offering to help and yeah please help whatever whatever you you think you need to do within a week of that happening um, I get a um, a call from somebody who's heard about me and invites me to be the reserve speaker at this major conference in the south of England um, she she apologised. Um, her lady was her lady. Her name is Lady Cowdray. She she runs the the biggest polo club in Britain, where Prince Charles. Uh, there's a photo of Lady Diana leaning on a car, um, watching Prince Charles p playing polo. That's where she lives. That's her house. Mm. And she rings and invites me to go to this conference that she's running because she's heard about me through somebody and she wants me to speak. But sadly. Um, well, not sadly in a sense. Um, uh, the, all the other speakers did turn up, so I wasn't needed in the end, but um, I got to meet lots of great people. And she said, I really want you to come back um, in the autumn, in the winter, and I want you to run some alchemy 
um, conferences uh, for me. And I said, why? And she said, because I've read your book and I have never been moved. So she got hold of a, 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 pro, a promo copy. I have never been moved by a book so much in all my life and I will recommend it to every soul I ever meet. Thank you. So, and I'm, I'm going, okay, George, what is, where did this come from? <laughs> so uh, do you want the final piece of the spooky story? I, I, I'm on a roll, so I may as well just finish the roll sure. if I may. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you guys thought that I was reasonably crazy uh, when you first heard me speaking, and now you think I'm re you know, quite competently crazy, this is going to cap it. Yeah. You know, I'm beyond hope now. This last bit of the story. So, I decide this. There is something to this um, messenger, uh, the art of calling in messengers who who come to you. And this is the thing. I didn't make this up. This came to me, and I think that's really important. Um, if you ask the universe for help, which is what I was doing at the time. The universe will will decide the way that's going to happen. This this just happened to be the way the universe decided to do it for me. So I was doing my meditation thing just a few weeks back, um, and I was imagining George and, and Ravi and just thanking them for all the wonderful things that were happening and how my book was getting out there, and thanks for their help and so on. And and I said, um, so how do I said to George, so how do I get to um, how do I get you know, back in contact with Paolo Kahlo. Because I had sent a copy of the book to his agency and uh, they said we don't give unsolicited stuff to Paolo. He gets a million things a day. But every blessing with your book, we wish you the very best. Um, and that, that was it. And I said, fine, I accept that. Like, you can imagine, can't you? The most popular author in the world. Um, he has to have a whole team of people who, who manage his life for him. Right. And... Um, so I'm telling George this, and George said, "Oh, you know what? You, you know who you need. You need Brian." I go, "Brian? Who's thinking as an Epstein?" <laughs> and I go, "Not Brian, Brian." He said, "Yeah, Brian Epstein. You need Brian Epstein." That's what they used to call him, Epstein. In those days, his name is really Brian Epstein, but the Beatles called him Epstein. Right. So that's another. That's another subject. Um, and next thing I know, in my mind's eye, I can see Brian Epstein and Brian's smiling. You know, so I've got a picture of him on my wall now to remind me of, of Brian. And he said, and, uh, and George said, we were nobody before Brian. And he's right, isn't he? So I'm Googling away. I'm, off I go and I Google it. And he's right. The, the Beatles were really, they were okay, but they weren't going to be the, the Beatles that we know today if it hadn't been for the fifth Beatle, which is Brian Epstein. Right. So... So I say to Brian, so Brian says, what do you want? So I tell him. That was uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, the next day I'm uh, researching uh, publicity agents because I think you know, I, I probably should get a publicity agent to get to the mainstream media. And this instantly this name appears in Google. I contact them. Within a week they've written me this amazing uh, public, uh, press release um, and uh, they say, okay, today we're going to send it out. It's going to go out around the world. Um, this is amazing. This book's awesome. We're, we're, we're thrilled to be part of this. And, and I'm thinking, okay, Brian, am I doing the right thing? And I'm kind of, yeah, Brian's giving me the nod. Yes, do it. So off it goes. Um, and this was literally last week now. 
and it it was on a Wednesday last week. By 11 p.m. on Wednesday night last week, um, my son is frantically messaging me and saying, "You've got to, you've got to go to the Daily Mail online. The Daily Mail is the largest selling newspaper in the whole of Britain, and people read it online around the world. It's usually got all the great gossip." in it about the royal family and who's doing what and all the big celebrities. It's, it's the big gossip newspaper. He said, you've got a 40-page a, a article online in the Daily Mail. <laughs> I'm going, no. I said, okay, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. I go back to sleep, wake up, it's all, this is all not true. And I woke up and it was, was true. And there I am at 5 a.m. in the morning reading this amazing article that this journalist had, had, had grabbed. She just grabbed it. She, she basically, you know, she got the scoop before any other major media could get it. She got the scoop. And then my son's messaging me again and said, you, you will not believe this. And I said, what, what, what am I in now? Thinking, you know, maybe I was on, going to be invited to be on BBC or something. Paolo Calo has just posted the Daily Mail article on his Twitter page and on his Facebook page. Oh, wow. And I, do you know what my first reaction was? Thank you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. If that's a useful story to anybody out there listening, um, take it, do what you want to do with it, find your guides, follow your dreams. The universe will bring to your aid whatever you need to be the alchemist in your world. That is my solid bedrock belief of, of life. And I, and I really cannot stress enough that if you've not entered into this dimension of joining with the force that, that holds all things together, with the force of un, un, unconditional love, boy, you're missing out, I have to say, based on my personal experience, and I can't say it for anything else, um, then that there is a, a big void uh, that, you, that could be filled and this is the kind of magic I'm talking about. So that's a real hot off the press, JV. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we have we've got about five minutes left, and I wanna I wanna just get a little bit of a differentiation here because you've used the word miracles a few times. You times you've used the word magic quite a bit. Are we are those things interchangeable? And if they aren't, what's the difference between the two? Okay, so. In, in, in just a few minutes, then, I'm going to fill in um, something that I've missed out, um, and it's critical. Okay. The alchemists called their work the great work. And the reason they called it work is because it is work. This, what I'm talking about is not you can't go on, on eBay and, and, and get a golden plastic magic wand and get it in the post, and when it comes, you know, start waving it around. Uh, like Harry Potter, and it's all everything's going to. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an interpretation of magic and miracles, which are very similar in my understanding, and that is that a magic and miracles are something that we bring into being. So the guy who find you know the scientists who are working on on the vaccine to cure COVID nineteen, they are alchemists in in my definition of the term. Um, this is not just something for the ethereal side of life. This is practical. Um, many of the early alchemists of the 17th and 18th century were also doctors. 
and also found cures for things. In my book, I cite many of them. So miracles and magic should be just part of normal life, and there are people who are doing this stuff without even even knowing, because that's how alchemy works, which sometimes is, as I said earlier, it, it hides itself very cleverly sometimes. But there are people who are alchemists who don't even really realise they're alchemists. There are those that are alchemists and get buried in the in the, the whole philosophy of the thing and, and nothing ever happens. And then there are those that I think I put myself in the camp of, there are those who are alchemists who, who we think we know how what it is and we struggle to explain it, which you can hear I'm struggling now, but, but we just know it works. And the work of the alchemist is you've got to make that inner journey. You've got to go into the self, into the unconscious, and there's plenty of books about this and I talk about it in my book, where you have to find the place within yourself that you consider the most worthless, the part of yourself you despise, that that part of your personality that, that you just don't, you want to hide. Um, if you will allow love to come in, and that's a really hard process. Many people nor normally need a therapist or a counselor, you know, go and see, talk to a counsellor about this, because this is the stuff we walk away from and run away from most of our lives. But if you're prepared to go there, and you're prepared to allow unconditional love to heal the wounds, to to help with the pain of those uh, those inner experiences that we carry with us, the baggage, the shadow self, whatever you want to call it, um, and transform that, not by becoming somebody else, but by honouring and treasuring those parts, those weaknesses will become your greatest treasure. And the power that you will discover, the courage once you've been enveloped and allowed love to embrace those parts, is the is the power that you will have to then perform magic and perform the miracles. That is not going to happen overnight. Some people may already be on that journey and they just need to hear what I'm saying today um, to encourage them to press on. Um, and that is where, how I see my role, really, when I'm talking to people. When people say, well, how, how are you an alchemist? I say, I'm going to encourage you to, to pursue your dream. I'm going to encourage you to keep doing the work, to make that journey. Because if you persist, the more you persist, the more the universe will get behind you, the more the universe will have your back, the more you will be able to perform miracles and become, ultimately, an agent for change in your world, in the light, in your life and those around you. And, and maybe the universe has in your plan, in the, in the direction that you choose, could change the world for all of us. Um, wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, yeah. it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all aspire to that? It would be. The book is not yet available. It will be available uh, August 1st, I believe you said. Is it available for pre-sale or pre-order? Yes, Amazon, just Google Amazon, The Secret of the Alchemist, Colin Holland. Uh, yeah, it's available for pre-order. I'd love it if you pre-ordered it. Um, I'd love all of you to share what I've discovered. And if anybody wants to contact me, you can contact me through Facebook. Uh, that's that's my best place to be contacted. And if you had to just give me a sentence or two to kind of sum up everything we've talked about tonight, but from the perspective of a reader, if a reader buys your book, reads your book, what's going to happen to that reader? At least what do you hope will happen to that reader when they're finished? I say in my introduction, you can, you can read this book in, in two states of mind. 
You can read it with an open mind or you can read it with a closed mind. Either way, I think you'll enjoy it because there's enough in there just to make it a good read. I deliberately did that. So there will be people who will read it and say, oh, that was interesting, put it on the shelf, life carries on as normal. There will be those. If, if those who are seekers, those who are looking for a positive change in their lives, then I, I have, as I wrote the book, I will say this, that over the three years it took me to write the book, I continuously did ask unconditional love to give you, the reader, everything that you would need to become the alchemist in your world. In other words, I'm passing on that that magic and that blessing that I, I felt that I received from Paolo Kahlo. I'm I'm passing that on, and that is my gift to you as a reader. And based on some of the phenomenal and amazing uh, testimonials I'm getting, people contacting me who have read, pre-read the book um, uh, are just saying, uh, this is probably one of the most amazing books I've ever written, for which I am extremely humbled. Um, what they mean is it has helped make a change in their life, and for that uh, I feel my, my mission's complete. Well, you should feel good about that for sure. Colm, thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, terrific conversation, and uh, best of luck with the book, and I hope we get a chance to get you back on the program at some point. We can uh, take another look at all of this. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.